and welcome back to the Audio DT with Reb T, the Audio Devar Torah with Reb T, this year where we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. We're now here in Parsha's Mishpatim. The Jews have been liberated from Egypt. They had the Exodus. They saw the sea. They got the Ten Commandments, and now they are learning about the rules, which might seem trivial or mundane. Not trivial, but they might seem, you know, technical or tedious. But one of the commentators explained, maybe Rashi, that, you know, no less important are those grandiose ones of, of the Sarasadibras themselves or the fundamental ones of society and life than all these other laws that come up in Mishpat. Because just as the mundane aspects of life are governed, by Hashem and His Torah, so to the very high, holy, ritualistic ones are governed by Hashem. Everything is governed by Hashem through His Torah. They're all equally important. So we come through the Parsha, and we look at Perak Chav Gimel, and we look at Pasuk Hay. On this show, we you know we try to look at a verse or a phrase throughout the Parsha and try to learn a lesson, a life lesson, a practical lesson from it, corroborated by other sources, especially by Chabad or stories or organizations or the like. Blineder. So the sources are from Chabad, and we'll see where else it goes. So the Pasuk says in the Chav Gimel, if you see, it's really when you see that you have to do this, not if it happens ever in your life. When it happens, look for it. Try to see how you could do this for others. Try to see how you can help others. When this happens, if you see the burden of your, the donkey of your enemy, really when you see the donkey of your enemy, quote-unquote, collapsing under its burden and are inclined to desist from helping him, you shall surely help along with him. When you see the donkey of your enemy, don't pretend you don't see it. Don't feign as if you didn't see it. But go, surely go and help him. And this is talking about your enemy, quote-unquote. There's a famous phrase from my dad there's no, he used to say he never had any enemies. He never had anyone that was against him. He was a fantastic, fantastic person, a human overall, a doctor and a community leader, among many other things. But a famous phrase, I believe, that, that I'm attributing to him is that I don't have any enemies, just people I like a little less. What a con, What a concept to try to live by can't love everyone in your entire life on the same level. There are some people that are instigators, some people that try to vex you, some people that try to annoy you. But if you think of it that you like everyone, some a little more, some a little less, and some average, that's a way to look at the people around you. That's a way to avoid the idea of enemy, to avoid the idea of people that might seem as your opponent. That's the way we could approach before we even go further into the verse, into the Pasuk here in Parshas Mishpatim, thinking about the idea of maybe we shouldn't have enemies to begin with in our life. That schnuck, he cheated me in business 25 years ago. I never talked to him since. Why is that? Is that what Hashem wants from you? That you should have vile hatred burning in your heart against someone from 20 years ago? Anything that happens in your life comes from Hashem. If a person is the one that's involved, they're just the instrument. They're just the stick. 
you know, if a dog comes and throws a stick at your face, are you angry at the stick? Or are you angry at the dog? Who are you really upset at? Who are you really blaming it on? You're not going to blame the stick. If your right hand hits your left hand, you're going to chop off your right hand, God forbid. It all is attached to the same body. We're all people that come from Hashem. Hashem sends someone against you. Hashem caused something to occur to you. Everything is for the good, for the benefit. We don't know why many times, but it comes from Hashem. So you're going to be angry at this person for something that he did to you? Obviously, so we cannot say sins are not are not up to Hashem, but if you were caused to lose X amount of money, you were caused to lose X amount of this, or this kind of embarrassment, or this kind of thing, obviously it's much easier said than done. If it happens to you, it's much harder to swallow. We should never know from such things, but realize it comes from Hashem. So maybe if we change our viewpoint, we change our outlook in life, Maybe we could have it that we don't have enemies. Even someone in my own life who I greatly dislike. A boss, a supervisor, someone that's really nasty to me. Do I look at them as my enemy? Or do I look at them as someone I like a little less? Taking the advice of my own dad. Someone I like a little less. Because what gain is it to me to have such burning hatred in my heart, in my stomach, in my being? It doesn't gain anything to me. It just eats away at you. It could cause an ulcer, God forbid. It could take years off the peacefulness of your mind, God forbid. You have to change the outlook, change how you look at things, and maybe there will be more peace in the world, even if someone has a diametric opposite view of you, even if someone really doesn't like you, even if someone, God forbid, wants to destroy you or kill you. Do you hate them or hate what they stand for? We talk about this a lot on all the shows, especially in the Yom Aram time, much later on in the year, really the beginning of the year. We don't want to make that awful mistake, as Article points out. So often we make the mistake of hating people instead of what they stand for or instead of what they do. The action is not the whole person. And many times people are indoctrinated with hate, especially the Sony Israel, the enemies of Israel, especially modern day enemies. They're indoctrinated from a very, very young age to hate us. And in turn, do we hate them back or do we wish they repented? Do we want to kill them or do we want them to be rehabilitated? Hashem himself says, I don't want the death of the sinner. I don't want to have to kill off people. I would rather them repent. I would rather them do tshuva. Who better to help the Jewish people than like a refined Arab terrorist who does tshuva and seeks out the good in the world? I love hearing stories, especially through Asia and other organizations, where you see someone who used to be a terrorist saw the Arab as ways and is able to help the Jewish people help the world by by explaining what goes on in those in those dark minds, what goes on in those devious plans, and is able to change his ways and be able to advocate on behalf of the Jewish people, on behalf of peace and on behalf of good things. And again, you know, not every not every person is a terrorist, not every per, not every terrorist is of a certain faith or religion, but you know, there are people, there are bad seeds, of course. But in the end of the day, it doesn't help to hate people. It doesn't help to hate those around us. We could be very appalled and very upset and very angered and hate what happened, hate the actual thing. But 
But what is the result of hating? What is the result of killing? Is the person going to feel better? You think about all those situations of a person that was wronged, God forbid, and he's out for revenge and kills anyone and anything in his way. Do you think anything is accomplished except for more and more destruction? More and more destruction, more and more hate? A sociopath, a psychopath, lahavda, lahavda, lahavda. They feel like they have enemies every, anywhere and everywhere. They listen to the voices in their head or whatnot. Is anything actually accomplished by them keep on going and taking on people, God forbid? No. It all starts with the, the inborn hatred and it just snowballs out of effect, out of control. We don't want to come out of this world having blood on our hands. Rather, we should find ways to 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 approach it where we could refine them, where we could chuvaize them, where we could have them repent. And I don't know the best answers. I don't have any answers usually. I'm just thinking out loud, talking to you, thinking out loud. But I know that when someone comes at me really angry, if I answer in a soft-spoken manner, I answer in a quiet manner, Shlomo Melch answers a soft answer will turn away any harsh words, turn away any harsh rebuke. And I'm sure... The same would be, you know, if a person comes really angry at you, wants to punch you, wants to hurt you, wants to demean you, or wants to, to point anything at you, if you're able to, to, to talk in a rational, logical manner where, where they're not in that, like, crazy state, crazy mind, Pirkei Elvis also explains you can't talk to someone if they're in the wrong mindset, like if they're, if they're, you know, if they're, if they're in a time of passion, they're at a time of severe hatred, you know, you can't talk to them, they have to be at a calm state. But, but that's a way of approaching people. So even on a much, much less, less level, people in our own lives, if they, if, they, if they don't like us, they dislike us, does anything get gained if we hate back or we, 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 we really don't like back? You know, even if something happened in our life, they're only the stick. They're not the cause. You know, even things that happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago, there's no benefit to holding on to hatred. We say a prayer, a lot of people say a prayer before they go to bed, I, I forgive everyone in my life, Hashem, everyone. And everyone means everyone. Even if you say the prayer, but you still have hatred against someone that did something to you 20 years ago, you're not saying the prayer right. If you say the prayer and you pretend to forgive someone, but you still have anger against someone, your cousin, your nephew, your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law, your mother-in-law, your friend, your best friend, your acquaintance, your coworker, you know, if you say the prayer, but you still hold it against that person, you're not really saying the prayer right. If you say in your heart, I forgive everyone, Hashem, forgive me, but you still harbor anger in your heart against someone, you still harbor resentment feelings, enemy feelings, you don't actually forgive them. Forgiving them means you feel the peace of mind, the peace of body, that you really let it go. And you really don't hate we could have things in our life that we had really terrible situations years ago, and it could be that it was very difficult, very painful, but after a certain time, the past is the past. We leave it in the past. We don't keep bringing it up. We don't keep holding on to it, because that's not forgiveness either. That's holding on to old hatred. It's just giving it a new name. We have to let it go, and maybe... Maybe we could get rid of the idea of having an enemy in our life. If the whole world could get rid of enemies, could get rid of the hate, get rid of all these things, if people were able to rehabilitate themselves and able to see the fallacy of their ways and able to turn hate into love, turn hate into care, 
turn all that money that's that's diverted to terror and instead use for good, maybe the whole world can be more peaceful. And then the the prophecy could be fulfilled where a lion can can sleep in the same area as a sheep, and a goat can be in the same area as a as a as a tiger or whatever. Meaning that there won't be such fear, such hunger, to such enemies. There will be peace in all aspects, and that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing if we could do what we can to spread ahavat chinam. True love for all people without having any enemies, no sinat chinam. That could be the antidote to bring the Beit HaMikdash back, maybe. The Chachamim sages, commentators have said, if the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of sinat chinam, baseless hatred, and it's not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed again in our generation, and the solution must be the opposite. Probably, the commentators explain, I think the Chavetz Chaim, have that ahavat chinam with lash and tov. Good words, good thoughts, good outlook. Don't have an enemy. Have people you like just a little less than others. A person that's a friendly person, an extroverted person who loves all people, some of them not as much. I love all my students. For example, I'm an OT. Some of them I like a little more and some I like a little less. But based based on it all, I love all my students. You give to your kids, you give to your students, you give to people around you. That's the root of a hava of love is hav, to give. You give and you give and you give. Granted, some students are my favorites. I don't tell them that. I don't tell other people that. But in general, because some you might like a little less, but I don't have any enemies in students. I don't have enemies of people that I that I that I try to take care of and even working with other people I try not to have enemies. I might have people I like a little less, trying to live up to that maxim, live up to that idea of having not an enemy. Rashi picks up on the idea in the Pasik talking about surely helping him. The term Azov to Azov Imo, this Aziva is an expression of help. Similarly restrained or assisted vi Azov. Deuteronomy kings and similarly and they strengthened Jerusalem until the wall which means they filled it with earth to strengthen and reinforce the strength of the wall again I want to take a caveat and say that I'm in no position to judge you know I wasn't living through the 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 terrible horrific times of of the past of the history very easy to talk most are very easy to talk about how it's how we have to turn ourselves from having enemies to working on our feelings, to not have enemies. It's just an idea to put out there. Not, God forbid, telling anyone how to feel or what to do. Just talking really to myself, giving myself most of how not to have enemies. But of course, in, in, in the periods of our history, you know, in the Holocaust and World War II, there were very bad people, Yamach Shemam, they did very bad actions. Very easy to talk about how, how to go about things and, and how to not feel like they're enemies and how not to look at them as enemies. Of course, they did terrible, terrible actions and the like. Think about all those pogroms, we should never know from such things, and terror attacks and the wars and the Inquisition and the Crusades, all the way back to 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 the Romans and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the the Crusades and all those terrible, terrible periods. Of course, I can't talk to any of those things. Just talking in general, the world now, and on a much more microcosm level, maybe just keeping it down, toning it down to the idea of in our own life what we can do. And the Rashi continues and talks about how they strengthened 
in Jerusalem until the wall. They filled it with earth to strengthen and reinforce the strength of the wall. Similarly, following Rashi's rendering that the word key means perhaps, will you perhaps say in your heart, these nations are more numerous than I? Will you perhaps say so? This is the inter- interrogative. The verse thus tells you, do not fear them. Midrashically, our rabbis interpreted the verse as follows. If you see, you may refrain, meaning that sometimes you may refrain from helping someone, and sometimes you must help. How so can this be judged? An elder who finds it beneath his dignity to unload a donkey, you may refrain, the Mechilta de Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Medrash Haggadah point out, or if the animal belongs to a Gentile and the burden belongs to an Israelite, you may refrain from Mechilta in the source, and sources come from Chabad. You shall surely help along with him, Rashi points out, to unload the burden, even if it's someone that you like less, even if it's someone at first you see as an enemy, you still have to help him. You unload the burden. Uncleus renders it mish meshkal le from taking the burden off it. So we see someone who is not who is who we don't see as our biggest fan, and we don't think they're our biggest fan. We don't like this person, or we don't, or we like them a little less, as the as the refrain goes. And they're on the way, and, and and you think, maybe I could turn a blind eye, maybe I could get out of the situation. No, the Torah says you rise above the instinctive feeling, you rise above that first trigger feeling that you don't want to help them, you don't want to be involved. No, you got to rise up and you have to help them, you have to go. The Torah requires us to push ourselves to go against our natural traits and tendencies and inborn abilities and say, no, we have to be better than this. We're here in this world to work on ourselves, to work on our traits, to better ourselves and go help that person who you don't have such strong good feelings for. It reminds me of in Devarim, in Perak Chafbet, Psukim Aleph to Hay, where a similar concept comes up. Look at these Psukim. If you see your fellow's ox or sheep gone astray, do not ignore it. You must take it back to your fellow. If your fellow does not live near you or you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home and it shall remain with you until your fellow claims it. Then you shall give it back to him. You shall do the same with his donkey. You shall do the same with his garment. And so shall you do with anything that your fellow loses and you find. You must not remain indifferent. If you see your fellow's donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. You must help him raise it. And it doesn't say your friend. It doesn't say your best friend. It says your fellow. This might be a fellow who you're not so happy with dealing with. It might be a fellow you have less feelings of liking towards than someone else. But the Torah uses the word fellow. You have to help him. And my wife one pointed out, it says... If they do not live near you, or you do not know who it is, if it's not near you, lo karovelecha. What does it mean, lo karovelecha? Maybe it doesn't just mean geographically or physically that they're close to you. My wife once pointed out, and I think there's also a source that says this. I don't remember where, but maybe it also means someone who's not close to you emotionally, someone who's not close to you as a friend. Hashem says you must go. Help them. Even if you do not know who he is, even if he's a stranger, you must 
be involved. You do the same with his donkey. Nowadays, that would be like a car. Same with his garment. Of course, that's clothing. And anything your fellow loses and you find. That could be anything. His cell phone. Even if you found out it's the cell phone of your worst enemy. Again, we don't want to have enemies, but... For the talk, for the purpose of just talking, you gotta give it back to him. You have to do all your research to find how to get it back to him. Do not ignore it. You must help him. That's the idea of the Torah. The wonderful, beautiful life of the Torah is that it pushes us beyond our comfort zone, way beyond our comfort zone, pushes us beyond our boundaries, our surroundings. It pushes us to have to do much more than we thought humanly possible. This person cheated me out of business 20 years ago, and you're telling me I have to do whatever I can to help him if he's broken down on the road? Good, he deserves it. He should be broken down. No, the Torah says you stop and you help him. It reminds me of Pirkei Avos and Perik Dalit, um, in Pasuk Yud, uh, excuse me, in Perik Dalit, Mishnah Yud Chet, a very famous phrase from Mishnah that Shmuel Hakatim would phrase would 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 quote, which seemed to be a phrase that he would live by if he quoted this phrase often. Shmuel Hakatan Omer, Shmuel the Hakatan says, why is he called the small? Maybe in relation to the great Shmuel Hanavi, or maybe in relation to another Shmuel that was in his days. But for some reason, he was called Hakatan the small. Maybe he used it as a modesty element that he wanted to make himself feel small. In relative to the people around him, in relative to Hashem. Interesting that he uses the word Hakatan for his name. They use the word. But the Pasuk in Mishle Chavdalad says that he would quote in Perkei Avos, Pol altismach. If your enemy falls, do not exalt, do not be happy. If he trips, let your heart not rejoice. Penyira Hashem, lest Hashem see it, verabe enav, and be displeased, it'll be evil in his eyes. Veheshiv may love apo, and God forbid, avert his wrath from him to you. God forbid. The idea being, you know, first of all, we really shouldn't have enemies in our life. Regardless of what happens in our life, we should try not to have enemies. We should let go of the, the anger from the past. The pain can be there, but let go of the anger and don't hold them as an enemy. It doesn't do any good for you. Definitely not for your mental health. Definitely not for your menuchat nefesh, menuchat for your your the all the ways of the the ways of the Torah are peace. Hashem doesn't want you to be aggrieved. He doesn't want you to have mental anguish. He wants you to somehow work through it, to let it go. And to keep the past in the past and to live each day as if it's a new day, to live each day the best way. You know, after 120 years, it's not going to matter all the things that people did to you. It's not going to matter all the things because at the end of the day, at the end, you have to take your mitzvahs, your chesed, your Torah with you. What is going to be your mark? You're going to hold on to such anger to that last day. That's what you're going to be remembered as, someone who had such bitterness, someone who had such anger towards other people, towards other situations. If you realize everything comes from Hashem, then we have to turn to Hashem to find out what's going on. Don't get angry at the stick and angry at, or talk to the one who sent the stick. Who's holding the stick? Why did Hashem send such a thing? Let's talk about it, Hashem. Let's have a conversation. Let's dive into Hashem, talk to Hashem, be open with Hashem. He's always there. He's always listening. So the Mishnah here teaches us, don't be happy if he falls. 
Because Hashem doesn't want the death of the sinner. Hashem doesn't want the death of the wicked. Hashem wants them to turn to the good, to repent. There is a Pasuk, I don't know the the phraseology, but it's something like um, Hashem chafetz tshuva, uh, I don't know the exact terminology, I'll say it right now, I don't know the terminology, but it's something related to the fact that Hashem does not desire the death of the of the wicked. He wants them to repent. And that's what we see in the world also. We don't want people to be dead. We don't want people to have to be killed or, or shut off or terminated or whatever. We want it to be that they have the repentance. Again, the wonderful stories of those terrorists who saw the light and are able to help humanity, help the Jewish people by understanding the, the, the ideology and helping us tap into it and helping us figure out how to stop the acts, how to, how to stop the term, and how to look into it. We want them to do tshuva and to help. We want everyone in life to do tshuva and turn to the good path. We, we don't want to have the enemy. We should help the enemy, dafka, to show them that we're not an enemy, but that we're really a friend. And by doing good, by responding in a soft manner, maybe we could turn them away from an enemy mindset and turn them into a friend, which is the craziest thing, to have two people who are bitter, bitter enemies, but something happens where where there could be a shift in mindset or a shift in action, and they could actually become friends. How amazing would that be, right? You know, you think about people, even Yaakov Avinu had to deal with someone who could have been seen as his enemy, his own uncle, his own father-in-law also. What a crazy relationship with... Um, his daughters that lo- that he that he married off in love and tried to trick him a thousand times, but did Yaakov say that he was his enemy? He said you love and tried to trick him, but he could have easily said it was his enemy. But Yaakov Avina, the great Yaakov, f- figured out a way to deal with him. You're allowed to resort to the same methods that the trickster can to try to trip him up and to try to be his his equal in trick, tricks, trickstery, obviously trying to keep to the truth as much as possible. And there are sources that talk about that, how Yaakov did that. He was tried to be tricked a hundred times, but he had to deal with it. And he was the paradigm, paradigm and paragon of truth. But he didn't go around saying, Lovin is my enemy. He married his own daughters. He had to figure out how to have such a relationship. So we should learn from that. And learn from Pekayavos how to be around these people that might seem as enemies, but really we should just like them a little less. Chabad points out that Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov points out that the Hebrew for donkey, chamor, also means material. Thus, this verse also instructs us as to the proper attitude toward the body and towards physicality toward the physicality and towards the body. When you see the chamor of your enemy, initially you will see your material self as your enemy, your own material self, something that obstructs and hinders your spiritual growth. Collapsing under its burden, the verse said, in such a state of animosity between body and soul that the body resists the Torah and its commandments, making them an unbearable burden for it, One's first inclination may be to desist from helping him, to shun the body, suppress its instincts, and deny it its wants. But the Torah says you shall surely help along with him. Aid the material self with its burden, quote-unquote, by training it to recognize that the Torah is the vehicle for its own refinement and its own elevation. We can work on ourselves not to be enemy of ourselves. How many people have self-loathing? How many people have self-hating 
tendencies and, and emotions and how many people hate themselves, unfortunately. So sad. How many people feel themselves as an enemy of themselves? How many people have addictions or afflictions or bad, bad, bad medos, bad traits or have different terrible habits, different terrible elements, and they just hate themselves, not realizing that's that's only one tiny aspect of themselves. So a person is an alcoholic, a person has a has a need for alcohol, but what if they changed their mindset and said, this is a person that struggles with alcohol, instead of realizing it's one terrible habit, but you have a thousand other people. Maybe he's a really chassidika person. Maybe he's an amazing dad, amazing husband, but he has a major struggle in a certain area. That person can have self-loathing and we have to help them help themselves in order not to be an enemy to themselves because you can't help anyone else. You can't love anyone else if you don't first love yourself. And that's a big thing in marriage. Also, they teach in a lot of workshops that in order to love someone else, you have to love yourself. You can't have... You can't love someone hoping then to love yourself. You have to have your own self-worth. You have to have your own self-esteem. You have to have your own self-love. I love myself, therefore I can love my spouse. Same thing, you know, I love life, therefore I can help my wife love life. Therefore I can help my spouse love life. You can't be the answer to your spouse's problems in some ways. They have to love life. They have to be happy with life. They have to have aspects of life, and then you can share in things, but you can't be the only cause of their happiness or love in life. They have to have it themselves. It has to be within them, and then you could go from there. So a person has to be comfortable with themselves and happy with themselves and proud of themselves and love themselves in order to be able to reach out to others. If I am not an enemy of myself, then I can make sure not to have enemies around me. I know what I'm good at. I know what my capabilities are, I know what my limits are, and that's how I could approach and see other people. So the Baal Shem, the Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov here points out how we have to work on our own selves, not letting ourselves be our own enemy, not having obstructions in our spiritual growth and our self-growth, using the Torah, its mitzvahs and commandments to help us attain, attain that. Rabbi Itan took care of Kingsway once told us, me and my wife, one of the most powerful, and amongst many others, one of the most powerful things you could do in general on Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah, I forget which one, is to daven for your quote-unquote enemy. Even though we shouldn't have enemies to begin with, only people like we like a little less, like my dad used to say, what a powerful thing to daven for your quote-unquote enemy. Because again, Hashem wants it that we have other people inspired to repent, other people to do tshuva. He doesn't want them to die. We shouldn't want them to die. We shouldn't want them to have terrible things. We should want them to repent. You think Avram Avinu wanted Yishmael dead or would have loved to see Yishmael do tshuva at the end of his life, which is what a source says, that he came with Yitzchak to bury Avraham. And that's why it might have said Yitzchak and Yishmael, and then it switched around the order that he let Yishmael go first because Yishmael might have done shuva at the end of the day. And Yishmael did a lot of crazy sins, right? Some say he was involved in the three cardinal sins. Some say he was he was doing a lot of other crazy things. That's why he had to be sent away from the home. But Yishmael, they say, did 
tshuva. We should be zolche to see all of Yishmael do tshuva and not want to hurt us or harm us or destroy us. We shouldn't want them all dead, God forbid. We shouldn't want to kill them all. God forbid, obviously, self-defense and taking care of, of Israel and taking care of the country and the Jewish people, we have to be proactive. But think about Avram's own son, Yishmael, the origination of where Yishmael comes from, which is the, the Arabs of today, of course. But also it could be the, the, the people that are our enemies in general. Sorry about that, I stepped on a, one of my kids' toys. But in general, you know, Avram would have loved to see Yishmael do tshuva. And Yishmael did tshuva, and that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants it to be that the people do tshuva. We should want people who are, quote-unquote, our enemies, they should do tshuva, and they should love us, they should live alongside us. You know, Edom, Esav also, there's a prophecy how one brother will serve the other. And while one brother's up, the other brother's down. And while one brother's down, the other brother's up. But really, it should be that they serve and work with each other. We should want it that Esav works with us and helps us. Esav is supposed to be the one that does the hard work. He lives by the sword, but really to help Yaakov live by the Torah. If it was a real partnership, it could be that we both work together. But obviously throughout history, Esav was not like that. Esav being the originator of Edom, being the originator of Rome, being the originator of a lot of uh, civilized, culturized society that has a lot of anti-Semitism, has a lot of hate towards us. They're supposed to help us. If they don't help us, we have to take everything among, our, among ourselves to, to physically and spiritually uplift ourselves. But it really should have been like a Zavul and Yisachar relationship. I believe the commentators talk about, back talking at, at, uh, at the brachos of Yaakov and Esau, how really the Esau was supposed to take on the physical so that Yaakov could take on the spiritual. We shouldn't want it that Esau should die, that Esau's descendants should die. We should want it that they do tshuva and that they help us and that they're our helper and that they sustain us and are our partner in learning and in Torah. That would halavai, it should be that we don't have enemies. That our enemies do tshuva and they learn from their ways and they could be alongside us as brothers and as cousins, really in a harmonious nature that the prophecy talks about at the end of the days where there's peace and everyone can dwell securely, the lion with the sheep and all nations together, recognizing the one true king of Mashiach, may it be speedily in our days. Rabbi Sachs, that's all explains on his website and quoted elsewhere, the principle is simple. Your enemy is also a human being. Hostility may divide you, but there is something deeper that connects you. And he says things better than I could ever say. He writes things better than I could ever say. There's something deeper that connects you. The covenant of human solidarity, pain, distress, difficulty. These things transcend the language of difference. A decent society will be one in which enemies do not allow their rancor or animosity to prevent them to coming to one another's assistance when they need help just like the Pasuk teachers were supposed to do. If someone is in trouble, help. Don't stop to ask whether they are friend or foe. Get involved. As Moshe got involved when he saw shepherds roughly handling the daughters of Yisro. As Avraham did when he prayed for the people of the cities of the plain, the people of Sodom were the most evil culture in that area, maybe in the world. Avraham prayed for them. They could have easily been seen as the diametric of opposite of Avraham. Avraham being one of my favorite characters in all of Tanakh. They could have been the complete opposite of the righteous Avraham. Evil sinners, evildoers. They could have been his straight up enemies. What did he do? He prayed for them. Because Avraham didn't want them to die. Avraham wanted them to be saved, for them to repent. He asked, are there 
50 righteous people. Please save everyone on account of the righteous. Are there 40? Are there 30? Are there 20? Are there 10? Can you, Hashem, join with them? Save them. Let them do tshuva. And that's what happened also with Yonah. You think about the idea of Yonah. His whole gripe with Hashem was that he didn't want them to heed the prophecy and be saved. And the Jews never listen to prophecies and they won't be saved. It'll be really bad news. The commentators also explain. You know, Yonah said five words and they were overturned. The commentators explain they were overturned in tshuva. They were different people than they were before. That's what tshuva does. You know, Arba im yom Nepal, or something like that. It was like five words Yonah's message was to them. In 40 days, the whole city will be overturned. The king got the message. He told everyone to do tshuva. And that's what they did. And that's a paradigm of what we should hope for in our own world. Let the evildoers, the sinners, the enemies do tshuva. Avraham prayed for the people of the plain. Shmos talks about enemies. Devarim talks about friends. But Shmos comes before Devarim. The Torah first talks about enemies, and then many parshiot later talks about friends. Why? Because two should you have to help first. The Talmud picks up on this. Listen to this. Baba Mitzia talks about, if the animal of a friend requires unloading and an enemy's loading, you first help your enemy. Again, a friend requires unloading, and obviously it would probably apply for the vice versa also, and an enemy is loading, you first help your enemy in order to suppress the evil inclination. Both equally need help. In the case of an enemy, however, there's more at stake than merely helping someone in distress. Rabbi Sachs points out there is also the challenge of over Zetzal, there's also the challenge of overcoming estrangement. Distance, ill feeling. Therefore, it takes precedence. The sages were here reading a nuance in the text. The phrase, you shall not pass by, is apparently superfluous. What it signals is that when we see our enemy suffering, our first instinct is to pass by. I don't see it. I didn't see it. I don't need to help. No, you can't do that. Hence, part of the logic of the command is to suppress the evil inclination. More remarkable are the Aramaic translations by Unculus and Targum Yonatan. They take the phrase, you shall surely release, to mean not just the physical burden, but also the psychological burden. You shall surely let go of the hate you have in your heart toward him. Exactly what we've said before, but much said by Rabbi Sachs than I could ever say. Psychologically, you shall surely, you must surely let go of the hate you have in your heart toward him. Rabbi Sachs points out a more general prohibition against hating enemies occurs in the very passage that commands the love of the neighbors. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not. Don't tell me outwardly you forgive them. Don't tell me outwardly you let it go when secretly you harbor hate in your heart. That's not real forgiveness. That's not real letting go. Do not hate your brother in your heart, especially secretly. Do not hate your brother in your heart or sister. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people or any of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Hashem. That comes from Vayikra, chapter 19, circum 17 to 18. On this Maimonides, Rambam writes, You shall not blot any offenses against you out of your mind and not bear a grudge. 
For as long as one nurses a grievance and keeps it in mind, one may come to take vengeance. The Torah therefore emphatically warns us not to bear a grudge, so that the impression of the wrong should be completely obliterated and no longer remembered. This is the right principle. It alone makes civilized life and social interaction possible. Hilchodeo points out from the Rambam in speaking about enemies, the Torah is realistic rather than utopian. It doesn't say love your enemies. Saints apart, we cannot love our enemies. And if we try to, we will eventually pay a high psychological price. We will eventually hate those who ought to be our friends. Again, we didn't say love your enemies. Want them to do tshuva. Like them less than others, but don't love them. It's not possible. What the Torah says instead, when your enemy is in trouble, come to his assistance. That way part of the hatred will be dissipated. Who knows whether help given may not turn hostility to gratitude and from there to friendship. That surely is enough to refute the suggestion that Judaism contemplates, let alone advocates, hating enemies. And Rabbi Sachs goes on to say, a fundamental principle of biblical morality is involved here, reciprocity. We owe duties to those who recognize the concept of duty. We have a responsibility to those who acknowledge responsibility. If, however, the person concerned refuses to exercise his duty to his own overloaded animal, we do not make things better by coming to his aid. On the contrary, we make it worse by allowing him to escape responsibility. We become, in the language of addiction therapy, codependence. We, enforce the, we reinforce the very problem we are trying to solve. We allow the individual to believe that there will always be someone else to do what is morally necessary. We create what the psychologist Martin Seligman calls learned helplessness or learned helplessness. We may feel that we are being super righteous. We may be right. But we are thereby making ourselves better at the cost of making society worse. Biblical morality is not a code of personal perfection, but of social grace. Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, is not a code for utopia. That's a prophetic dream, not a present tense reality. In the here and now, however, the Torah tells us something not without its moral grandeur, namely, small gestures of mutual assistance, especially towards that quote-unquote enemy, can in the long run transform the human situation. At the heart of the law of the overladen donkey is one of Judaism's most beautiful axioms. Who is a hero from Avodah Nasan, One who turns an enemy into a friend. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg writes on H.com of a fascinating story from February 2019. This was very famous two years ago now. In January of that year, a fire destroyed the building that housed Yossi Hyman's fish market in Borough Park, Brooklyn leaving him with no place to operate his business and no ability to draw income. Shia Langsam owned, owns a similar store, Fish to Dish, just a few blocks away. One would have thought that as sympathetic as he may be for his competitor's poor fortune, he would welcome this opportunity to acquire new customers and increase his business. Instead, Shia did something truly remarkable. When he learned of the fire, he picked up the phone and called his competitor. When he, Yassi, said that he needs a facility to process and deliver orders for his customers, I said, why not join me in my store? As fellow community members, we all try to help each other as much as we can. She received an official citation from New York State's Assembly member Simcha Eichenstein for his incredible kindness 
welcoming his competitor to operate out of his space until the store could be rebuilt. How beautiful is that? Taking someone who could be considered his enemy in business, turning him into his friend. You don't think Hashem has enough capability, has enough business that he could give you all money, even especially when you bring your competition into your business? Think about the Chavitz Chaim, they say, or a different sage, who was offering a bookshop, didn't make a lot of money. You know, he printed his all his farm. He worked so hard on his farm. Then there was a competition that opened. But he wasn't worried because he said, you know, the same Hashem that would give me business without competition will still give me business with competition. What a high level of amuna bitachon. Beautiful. Turning our enemies into friends, not worrying about competition, not worrying about others out there, realizing Hashem is behind it. Aish points out from Dr. Miller from a few years ago, 2013, what Israel does for its own quote-unquote enemies. Israel treats people who want to kill it, which is so radically crazy. I literally, as a doctor in Israel, I can, not me, but the euphemism of a person could literally treat the enemy. And maybe they firsthand could see that it's all lies what they say about Israel, about the Jewish people. Although officially at war with Israel in 2013, Syrian officials were secretly bringing victims of the fighting there into Israel for medical care, paid for by the Jewish state. For us, they are patients who need immediate help or they will die. And it makes no difference where they come from, whether they're combatants or civilians, explains one administrator whose hospital in the Israeli city of Safed Safat has treated scores of Syrians. Israeli aid workers and medics also provide medical care directly in Syria, disguising their identity since they're coming from the Jewish state. Save a Child's Heart, based at Wolfson Medical Center near Tel Aviv, is the largest charity of its kind in the world, bringing children from dozens of countries to Israel for life-saving cardiac treatments. While Hamas officially opposes the Jewish state's very existence, it relies on Save a Heart to pay for transporting thousands of children from Gaza to Israel and provide their medical treatment each year. Israel's army is instrumental in a Dutch-initiated plan, at least in 2013, to help boost Gaza's agricultural exports. Notwithstanding Hamas's continued bombing from the Gaza Strip, Israeli soldiers continue to run seminars on agricultural practices there. We want to help the Palestinian farmers to grow their crops correctly, use pesticides correctly so that next year the produce will be of a higher quality and quantity, explained one Israeli army official. His goal is to create a situation in which the exports to Europe will grow, create more profit and Palestinian economic growth in Gaza. Can you imagine the craziness of them actually helping their quote-unquote enemies? We want them to be able to have economic growth there. The Torah tells us, I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse, therefore choose life. Surrounded by enemies who call for their destruction, countless Israelis, the state itself also has nevertheless heeded this injunction and chosen life. Forced with hatred time and again, they've decided to answer that hatred with myriad organizations to help to connect with and elevate others. There's also an amazing website that deal with those from other religions or ways of life that want to take people away from us, away from Judaism, try to spew venom, hate, or enemy hostility into minds or misinformation, trying to convert them away, God forbid, from Judaism. So this amazing organization that fights that calls Jews for Judaism, which is the opposite of the other one, Jews for Yeshu, Jews for J. This is Jews for the real J, Jews for Judaism. And for Hashem, works against those that try to spew holes falsehood that would otherwise be our enemies. Their solution, as they explain on their website, JewsForJudaism.org, 
is that they want to strengthen and preserve Jewish identity by responding to religious coercion, promoting critical thinking skills, and providing spiritual guidance and support. Responding to Religious Coercion, a YouTube channel with over 300 videos and 5 million views, hundreds of articles on the website, live presentations around the globe, the Jewish response to Missionary's Handbook, one-on-one counseling with an emphasis on exit counseling, critical thinking skills, Smart Talks webcast, Smart Talks lunch series, Smart Talks supper club, Spring 2020, Smart Talks influencer fellowship, Spring 2020, social media presence with a reach of 25,000 people, spiritual guidance and support, questions of faith, depression, death and illness, spiritual mentorship, life skills, guidance, family struggles, financial challenges, conversion and intermarriage, all things they try to work on and deal with. Founded in 1985, created as a response to religious coercion, targeting Jews for conversion and to strengthen and preserve Jewish identity through education and counseling. The unique programs have provided hundreds of thousands of people with tools to respond to religious harassment, discover the spiritual richness of Judaism. It's a respected resource for all ages and all denominations within the Jewish community, and they're an international organization that provides a wide variety of counseling services with education and outreach programs that enable Jews of all ages to rediscover and strengthen their Jewish heritage. With those lectures and counseling and learning and teen workshops and know what to answer are things they work on as well. So the idea from this phrase, from our Parsha, Mishpatim, you see that chamor of your enemy. What is an enemy? Do we have an enemy? It should just be people we like a little less. It should be people that we don't want to see dead. We don't want to see them killed or cut off. We want to see them do tshuva. We want to see them come back. Just like Avram would have been so happy to see Yishmael, that Yishmael, the commentators point out, came back. Just, that, just like Esav is supposed to come and be our helper. All those around us are supposed to be our helper. Those reformed terrorists, those people that did true that actually helped the world and changed the viewpoint of those around us. We shouldn't want to see enemies dead. We shouldn't have enemies. We should try to see the person and understand that they may do terrible actions or terrible deeds, but try to see into the person and understand not to hate people around us, maybe hate the actions and want them to do better, but want them to do tshuva. And understand that sometimes in ourselves, we can be our enemies to ourselves, especially if we're battling different things, especially if we need to fight different things within ourselves. All coming from the idea, you see the enemy, you help him, and you help him before you help someone else. Because as Rabbi Sachs explains, by helping him, maybe you could turn that enemy into a friend. If we could turn all the enemies in the world into friends, how much peace would there be between all nations, between all creatures, between all humans, maybe then finally the building of the base of Mishra can come, may be speedily in our days, and may that day be today. This has been the Audio DT with Reb T, and I'm your host, Reb T.